As prevalent as worry and anxiety are in our society, it's difficult to know how to fight it and win. So many things capture our thoughts and feelings, and sometimes we're left without the strength or will to push through it. Well, today, Myron is going to give us very practical but very biblical ways to win over worry. Today, you can give your fears to God and receive His peace. Here's Myron. Well, good morning. How we doing? Man, you guys are warmed up after the reading of those official legal documents. That's amazing. We're going to do it again. I'm just kidding. Well, hey, my name is Myron, and glad that you're here. Uh, we're in our series, Fear Not. And so today, I wanted to, to dive into uh, a topic that I think we all deal with. I know we all deal with fear, and really, that's why we're, we're, we're doing this series of we all experience fear, but there's different ways in which we experience it, and we have a response to the fears that we have in this life. And there's kind of a precursor that kind of, one, meshes with our fear and really is the thing that if we can deal with and navigate and find freedom over or win over, man, we might just be able to overcome our fear. Because what we're afraid of often will be the thing that we are so worried about in our day-to-day life. And I've talked about this in this series, series previously about your greatest fear and the what-ifs and the hypotheticals. And if you live in that mental space, you will worry all the time. Because the reality of our world and our life is that we worry. Worry is a natural emotion and feeling that comes into our life, whether we wish it upon ourselves or not. And here's the thing that I said last time I got to teach in this series is, and I want you to understand this point. If you understand this point, it's so good. Is your feelings are real, they're just not always reliable as a means or a source of truth. Because God made your brain, he made you to experience emotions, and emotions are really what make us human. And so they're real, you have them, but we cannot, even though culture wants to define them as reality or what's true about your life and your existence and all of the world. Your feelings are real, they're not always reliable, they can't always be trusted. And so worry is this thing that we all experience. And here's how we define worry, or I want to define worry. Is worry is the obsessive mental pondering of something that you fear. Worry is the obsessive, there's the, the key word, obsessive mental pondering on things that you fear. And I believe, and psychologists and psychiatrists have kind of researched this and have written some articles and books on it, worry is a precursor to anxiety. Anxiety is the constant state of being overwhelmed and having physiological, biological, and chemical responses to this state of worry, which is an obsessive mental pondering over something typically that you fear. So if we can get a a, a handle on worry, we can get a handle on our anxiety, and then we can really deal and overcome the fear, which is the root of all of it. And so we're going to talk about worry today. And I want to talk about how we can win over worry. And so being being worried about things that you can't control is like worthless in my mind. Like, think about it. Like, you have no control over that circumstance, situation, or outcome. So worrying provides what benefit to you? None. It's pointless. It would be worthless. Now, there's a different, different, different spectrum here I want to work from. 
It's good to be concerned about some things in our life. But the obsessive concern rooted in a fear turns into worry and obsessive pondering, which leads to anxiety, which can be debilitating and undermine your joy and your patience or your peace and your contentment in this life. So there is healthy concern, but when it gets unhealthy, it turns into worry, leads to anxiety. So it's the spectrum. You can be concerned about some things. There's some good things that you should be concerned about. So you might be worried about your finances, but it's good to be concerned about your finances. And if you're concerned about your finances, which is a good thing, getting out of debt, living God's way and biblical principles, we got a gift for you. It's called FPU. We talked about it last week. Sign up. It's a free course on how to live out your finances in a God-honoring biblical way. Sign up for that. Put on your Connect card. We'll get you the information. So it's good to be worried about your finances. Well, it's not good to be worried about them. It's good to be concerned about them. It's a good thing to be concerned about. And then what about your marriage? Maybe you're worried about your marriage. Well, you should, you should be concerned about your marriage and the health of it and how, uh, how vital it is and life-giving and God-honoring it is. So if, if, if you want to be concerned about your marriage, then talk to somebody about it. Reach out to us as the pastoral staff or find a, a marriage counselor that you trust and comes that you can have an honest conversation about your marriage that you care about. Not that you're so worried about, but that you are concerned about. It's good to be concerned about it. It's good to be concerned about your kids. It is. But man, how often, parents, let's be honest with ourselves, does it become obsessive to where that's, they rule our life? The overly protective, worrisome nature of our parenting style is obsessing over our kids and it's unhealthy and it's building into them not a great foundation for success as an adult. But you should be concerned about them. And if you're concerned about them, then yes, you should limit what they watch on screens. You should. You should be concerned about the content they are receiving both recreationally, on devices, and also in the public education sphere or any education that they are getting, you should be concerned to a healthy degree. And if you're worried about your health, I think it's good to be concerned about your health. If you've got something going on, let that be a good motivation to go to the doctor, to not live in the what ifs, but if you're not feeling great, quit worrying and being obsessed about it and just be concerned in a healthy way. If there's a sound in your car, like it's probably good to be concerned about it. Like, and let that be a motivator for you to schedule it with the mechanic to see what's going on so you don't get left on the side of the highway going, I guess I should have did something about this. But then you also can be overly worried about your car. Like, man, this thing's going to break down every time. You see the spectrum here? It's good to have healthy concern to be a, motiv- a motivator. But yet, when it becomes obsessive, it becomes worry. And worry is a precursor to anxiety, which would debilitate and undermine the plan and the purpose and the peace and the joy that God wants for you. So I have three things to do when worry comes. Because worry is going to come. It's natural. It's real. But what do you do to win over worry? Three things. And the first one... (laughs) It's probably the cheesiest point I've ever had in my entire teaching career. Like, I'm a dad now of three, so like my cheesiness and dad jokes are getting better. They're they're getting better. 
And so this is so dumb of a cheesy point that it just might work. It's so clever. And here's what I'm going to do. You guys know texting shorthand? Anybody know? How, like, all right, here we go. Here, crowd participation if you're not awake here. Ready? Tell me what this means. T-T-Y-L. All the young people right here, like, we know that. <laughs> we got it right here. Most of y'all knew T-T-Y-L. That's a throwback. That's like the OG, right? Like, too lazy to type it, T-T-Y-L. Talk to you later. All right, how about this one? O-M-W. On my way. I'm on my way. Here's, here's the one, classic, LOL. So simple. Here's one, L-M-A-O. Some of y'all about to cuss in church. Hold on. Some of, <laughs> some of y'all about the donkey name, right? Which I'll save you from it. You know what it means. You know what it means. So here's point one. It's a shorthand texting, a little acronym for you to remember when worry comes. Here it is. Number one, how to win over worry. It's I'm going to tell you a secret about how to win over worry. When the worry comes, this is what you're going to say to your worry. Silence. You're not welcome here. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to do a P. You're going to do an S. You're going to do an H. And you're going to do a T. They stand for four things. Philippians 4 is where we're going to be in the Bible. And we're going to go through this. And the Apostle Paul is going to unpack, I think, how we can overcome, how we can win over worry in this life. This is what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition. You should underline. Here's the antidote right here to win over worry. Prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When worry comes, first thing, it's not the P but it's prayer and petition. It kind of works. Prayer and petition. When worry comes, we're going to pray and we're going to petition. So first thing is, what is prayer? Prayer is, simply put, a conversation with God. Like think about, think about what that offer is in prayer. The God of the universe who made everything and made you is giving you his ear. And he's saying, hey, you can pray to me. You, can, you don't have to go through a formality. You don't have to go see a prophet or a priest. Like, I have literally made a way for you to have direct line of communication to me, the creator of the universe, the creator of your life. What a gift that, what a gift that is. And the reason I think that God allows us to have direct communication with him is because he is a loving God who wants a relationship, a deep relationship with every single one of us. And communication is the bedrock of a relationship. If you're married, you know this. If you got kids, you know this. If you have friends, you know this. Communication is key. And so God is giving us an opportunity to have direct communication to build our relationship with God. That's what prayer is. And so when worry comes, psst, our default is prayer. God, I'm going to seek you in this. I'm going to invite you into this process so that worry doesn't lead to anxiety, to debilitating, undermining the plan and purpose you have for me. I'm going to bring it to you and you're going to carry it with me because that's the invitation that he offers us. That's prayer. The second thing is petition. What is petition? I think a petition is like going to the mall. Anybody go to the mall still? 
And there might be some people in the circle of things, like the middle, and they're like, got a clipboard, like, hey, sign this petition. We're going to change some statue. Like, we should petition the law. That means we got to read documents in church. You know what I'm saying? Like, we could change that law or we could add a, start a program. And it's very specific on what the petition is asking. And typically, it has more people involved to contribute to the cause. So here's what petition means when we are praying or seeking God. It's a very specific request that we are making to God. It's not just, sup, Jesus, need help, TTYL, catch you later. Although prayer is informal, it can be, yes. And the Apostle Paul says you can pray without ceasing, have a conversation all day with God. Yes, it's casual. But I also think there's another layer of reverence that we have in our prayer, which is a petition where we get very specific before God and we, and we come to him in a formal, reverent, honoring petition with a specific request. Because all petitions are prayers, but not all prayers are petitions. Because you can just pray, God, thank you for this, thank you for this, thank you for this, amen. Like you just thanked him, which was conversation, prayer, but you didn't ask for anything specifically. So Paul says, when worry comes, when anxiousness comes, and translations use anxiousness and worry synonymous in, in this text, when it comes, you pray and you petition, you it. You ever had anybody, <laughs> you ever had anybody email you and you don't email them back, like you ghost them in the email, anybody been there? So then they email you like four days later, like, hey man, just following up on that email. And then you go to them again and like a week goes by or like 10 days go by and they email you again and say, hey, just want to see where we're at. And then like a month goes by and they give you one last hurrah. Like I know like Xfinity, Comcast, AT&T, they all do that to me. Like they're like, hey, did you get that? But then eventually, usually that fourth time for me, I'm like, oh yeah, I got it. Thanks. No worries. Not interested. Or yes, I'll move forward. And there's this petition. There's this specific ask. There's this follow up. And that's the first P of P-S-H-T is this. When you pray and you petition to God to, to win over your worry, you do it with persistence. So first point of the P-S-H-T is this. Be persistent in your prayers and petitions. Be persistent. Don't give up. Keep asking. Keep, keep knocking. Keep seeking God. And don't stop. Keep sending that email. Keep following up. And don't ever quit. And Jesus tells his disciples this very thing. He says in Luke chapter 18, uh, he says this in verses 1 through 14. He was telling the disciples a parable. And he says this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in the town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but he finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Like, not just persistent, but she's got some tenacity to her. Like, grandma's got a cane and ready to use it. You know what I mean? Like, this judge is like, 
okay, woman, I hear you. She's been after him and after the, the outcome that she is so desperate for. She's been so persistent with some tenacity that finally this judge who doesn't care about people, doesn't care, have any fear of God, will eventually give her the outcome that she wants. And the Lord said, Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus is painting this parallel of like a judge who has the authority, who didn't fear God or like people, was willing to give the outcome that this woman with persistent tenacity was asking for. How much more will a perfect, loving, heavenly father over his people who plea and pray and petition to him what they want will not give it to them quickly and exactly as they are asking for? You see the contrast here that Jesus is saying? So be persistent in your prayers. Don't ever, don't ever give up. Keep asking. Keep calling on heaven with persistent and tenacious style prayers. We give up way too quickly in our world over a lot of things. We quit at the first obstacle, at the first closed door, at the first no, we typically just stop. And that's what we've been accustomed to doing in our world. But not so, should not be so. Have some heart, have some perseverance and demonstrate it in your prayer life when worry comes with persistent prayers. Second thing is this, the S is be specific. Be specific. In Matthew 7, uh, Jesus gives this kind of illustration of, of uh, the nature between God and, and his people. In Matthew 7, verse 7 through 12, it says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened to you. And then he paints a picture with a little illustration. Which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven get give, give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is saying, be specific in your asking, your seeking, and your knocking. Again, he reiterates the point of persistence. Ask. If it didn't work, seek it. Keep knocking. Ask, seek, knock, and be specific. Because you, who, if you have kids, when your kid asks you for something, don't you want to give it to him? Like really, think about the human nature I mean, as a father. When my kids ask me for something, man, I want to give it to them. And I try to as much as I can if it's, if it's good for them, if it's not detrimental to them or harmful to them. Like my two-year-old, she just turned two today, actually. She'll look at me and go, Daddy, chocolate, please. <laughs> it's like, how do, I, how do I not say yes? It's like, we just had ice cream, though, like moderation. Like, I got to teach you the lesson of like, we can't just have sugar all day, but I want to give it to her. But yet I would never say, no, here's kale. Like, <laughs> we'll just, it's the same. Like, 
I wouldn't do that. And I'm a, I'm a human being that's flawed and sinful and selfish and you name it. I got sin all through my life. But yet I want to give my kids exactly what they ask for within reason. And if you have kids, you know what I mean. And then he paints it to, there's a God who is your heavenly father, who's perfect. And how much more will he give you the good things that you're asking for? And not so much what you want, per se, but what you need, he will give you. He will meet all of your needs. He's asking to be specific. What do you want? What do you need, my child? And he'll give it to you if it is good for you and a good gift that he seems fit for you. You see, because ambiguity in our prayers doesn't really build the relationship. Think about the ambiguity that you might have with a friend. What if your friend came to you and said, hey, bro, need some help. What do you need help with? You know, just come. It's like, well, what do you want help with? You should know, just come. Ambiguity breeds frustration in a relationship. But specificity, man, that breeds a tighter bond. There's a clear expectation, and it builds two people together when you are specific. So would you pray specific prayers, asking for what you really need over and over and over again in a petition prayer with tenacity kind of aspect to the perfect heavenly father who gave us his ear in prayer? It's incredible. Third thing is this, the H, be honest. Be honest in your prayers. Be honest in what's what's really going on in your life. Jesus, he says this in, in Luke 18. We're back into Luke 18 now, right where, right, right where, you know, we just talked about Luke 18. He talked about the parable of the widow being persistent. And then it goes on to talk about another style of prayer. He says, to, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. We see they're going to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like the tax, like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. He's praying such self-righteous, self-absorbed prayers, and he's praying comparative prayers, which is super unhealthy. You think about it. But the tax collector, who also went up to pray, stood at a distance. He didn't want to get that close to the temple. He had some reverence for the holy place of God. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. Again, reverence and respect for who God is. And he beat his breast, which culturally would have been a sign of mourning or grieving. They would have t- sometimes they say tear their clothes or, or beat their breast. He's probably crying. He's having this moment of like deep despair. And he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other or the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Man, when you go to pray to God, I'm going to ask you to be honest in your prayer. And here's the foundation of your honesty in your prayers, to be honest that you actually have an opportunity to pray to God because of what God did for you that you never earned or you never deserved. And you say, God, I'm a sinner. I don't even deserve to even look at you or be in your presence. I don't even deserve to have your ear right now to pray and petition over what I'm worried about in my life. I don't deserve that, God, but thank you. 
And then he's honest. He's like, I'm a sinner. Right? Be honest with what you're struggling about. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about this. I'm, I'm struggling with this. I got anxiousness here. Be honest with your current situation. God's not intimidated by it. He's not upset by it. And he's not surprised by it. He already knows. He's asking you just to be honest with who you are, with what's really going on, and be honest with yourself that you don't deserve the God of the universe's ear in the first place. Because I think another H that goes in this is humility. Have humility in your prayer. You see, honesty will build humility, but it takes humility to be honest. So it's like the chicken or the egg crisis. Which came first? I'd say both. Be honest and be humble. Humility will produce honesty and honesty will make you humble when you realize how broken and undeserving that you are to have a conversation with the God of the universe. Don't pray comparative prayers. Don't pray self-absorbed prayers. You see, prayers that are focused on us are really ineffective. But prayers that are focused on God and who he is That's a really effective prayer because prayer really is going to help you understand who God is because you're going to build a relationship with God. You're going to understand his nature and his character better in prayer. So would you pray honest prayers and humble prayers and let that be part of you battling your worry and winning over your worry. And the final thing is the T, P-S-H-T. Two H's, honest humility, and T is thankfulness. Be thankful in your prayers. You see, in the Philippians verse, uh, in verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Man, we got to wrap all of this in thanksgiving. Otherwise, you're praying selfish prayers. You're praying conceited prayers. But when you wrap it all in thanksgiving... And you present your request to God, the promise is is the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, is going to guard your heart and your mind. You'll win over worry every time when you wrap it all in thanksgiving. And here's what I mean by thanksgiving. It's like you just come with a humble, honest posture of gratitude and gratefulness for who God is and also for what he's done for you in the past. And no matter where you are on your relationship with Jesus, You have something to be thankful for in your past. It might have been that you accepted Jesus five minutes ago. Be thankful for that and the sacrifice and the gospel message that gives you the forgiveness and the mercy to be reconciled to God. Be thankful for that if that's the beginning of your story. But then you'll see as you follow God and you've walked this life of following Jesus, you will see how good he has been to you time and time and time and time again. And so now when you're seeking him in a prayer with a petition, with tenacity and honesty and humility, you go, God, I know how good you've been before. And I'm so thankful that how good you've been before. And I'm asking that you would be good again. It changes your perspective because it gets the prayer almost off of your circumstance and gets it on the goodness of God and how good he has been and how good he is and will be. Thanksgiving changes everything in our prayers because it changes our perspective. And it focuses on God's character and his nature, not on our current circumstances much. So would you wrap it all in Thanksgiving? When worry comes, would you it? 
persistent, specific, honest, humble, and thankful prayers and petitions to God. That's step one. That's step one. Two more things, how to win over worry. The second step is this. You got to focus on what is good. You got to focus on what is good. In every circumstance and situation you may find yourself in, with whatever fear is driving the worry, the mental pondering that leads to anxiety, there's something good in all of it. You got to find the good. And what you look for, you will find. Here's what it says in, in Philippians 4, in verse 8, after he says, Present your request to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. In verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, think about such things. He's given us the basics of thought substitution. When a thought comes, a desire comes, a feeling comes, it goes, hold on. Let me try to find the good here. Let me take that mental space that I want to go ponder and worry and be obsessive about and start pondering and being obsessive about what is good and true and noble and pure and lovely and praiseworthy. Focus on those things because what you focus on, you will find. Here's a, here's a very controversial example of this. We heard of the COVID vaccine, right? <laughs> Everyone's heard of the COVID vaccine. And some of us, and I'm not advocating for one side or the other, but some of us are on one side that says the vaccine was not helpful, it was harmful. There's another side that says it was absolutely helpful and it was the reason that COVID was so, we were so successful in navigating it. And so you come from a predetermined expectation or knowledge of the vaccine. And then every single scientific development and story and blog and newscast that you were listening to, and really we listen to the sources that are just going to confirm what we believe. It's called confirmation bias. And so what you're looking for to just prove your point, you will find, right? So whatever your expectation is on either side of this issue, everything that develops from here on out, you just look for a way for it to justify your position. And we see why that's so harmful because we see that we're so divided on that. But there's so many other topics that we're so divided on. And this side goes, I don't even know, are you dumb? Do you have a brain? I don't even know how you can believe what you believe. And they're thinking the same thing about you. And we're so divided on issues because we have confirmation bias and we're so focused on our agenda or our predetermined expectation. So what we're focused on is therefore what we see and all we see. And the same thing is true when worry and fear and anxiety come. If that's all you're focused on and you have a victim mentality that your emotions or you're a victim of your emotions, that's all you're ever going to see. And it's going to just reaffirm, yep, you're, that's who you are. You struggle with this. You'll never overcome this. It's part of who you are. It's just my reality. Woe is me, victim. And so you got to focus on the good. And if you do that, I promise you'll find it. If you believe that all guys are pigs, you're going to find the pig in all of them. If you believe that all girls are just drama, you're going to just see the drama in all girls. 
If you believe this or that, if that's your predetermined expectation, that's all you're ever going to see. This is why gossip is so harmful because it paints an expectation of somebody without them being able to paint the expectation for themselves. And so then when you actually come in contact with that person, you're just looking for what you've already been told about them, which is super unfair and harmful. And we see why it's so damaging to people and relationships. And so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to beg you really, would you focus on the truth? Would you focus on the facts, not the what ifs? And would you get outside of your silo of confirmation bias on all topics? And really, we're talking about worry today. And begin to see what is good and noble and true and praiseworthy and excellent in all circumstances that you will find yourself in. It changes everything. Here's a good way. If you don't know what you focus on, here's a good way to test what you focus on. What do you talk about? Because often what you talk about is what you are focusing on. And there are people who talk about themselves a lot. And their focus is on themselves. Right? Like, here's a, here's a cool, not cool, but here's the thing. A thing. People who have a great memory of, like, things that happened to them in the past often talk about what's happened to them in the past frequently. Because what you talk about, you remember. Because what you talk about is what you're thinking about. And what you're obsessively thinking about is going to come out of your mouth. And as you talk about it, you're going to remember it more. It's a cycle. Some of you wish you knew nothing about people's past. (laughs) Shut up, man. Like, come on. I heard the story seven times. We get it. You did that. So I challenge you to change what you talk about. And that'll be a good proof of what you're changing in your thought patterns of your life. Is what dominates your conversation things of God? Ways in which he's provided and ways that he's working and and things that are good in the church and the community and and, 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 in your ministry and your life and your family that are God-honoring? Is that dominating your conversation? Because if so, it's probably dominating your head space. And there's been psychologists that have really proven this point of like, what you talk about really strengthens your belief in it. And so this is why marriage counselors would give the advice of like when when a couple's struggling of like, hey, talk about how you met all the time because it's going to get you back to those feelings of love and attraction, infatuation, where all things were new and exciting and where the love was was thrilling. It's going to get you back to like, man, that's why I fell in love with you. That's why I fell in love with you. That's why I wanted to marry you. And so my question to you is, do you talk about where you, when you met Jesus? Do you tell people about when you met Jesus? Do you talk about when God showed up and provided in a really cool way? Do you share that with others? Because if you do, it's going to strengthen your faith. It's going to help you focus on the good in the future. And it's going to help you have thanksgiving when you petition and you pray over what you are worried about now. So here's some things I want to give you that are true, noble, praiseworthy. All the lists that Paul gave here. You know what's true that you can come back to all the time is you were made in the image of God. And you are not an accident. And there is nothing about your life that God is saying, screwed that one up. 
You are made just the way you are by God, and he loves you. Now, that doesn't mean some of us have harder stories and struggles and temptations and lifestyles that are more difficult in some capacity, but God made you, and he loves you. That's true. Do you think on that often? You have breath in your lungs. That's true, because if you weren't, you'd be on the floor right now. Be grateful and thankful that you have breath in your lungs. That's true. You know what's noble? Feeding the homeless or the less fortunate. And that happens in this church and in this community all across the world. There are missionaries who go to countries who don't have access to clean drinking water, and they're doing that right now as we are gathered here. That's happening. You have that perspective of there's such noble things that are happening in our world that I could be excited about and could think about. You know what else is noble? Mentoring young children. Mentoring young kids who are less fortunate and don't have good role models in their lives. And we do that here at Newbridge Church, Madison Elementary School. Think about that. It's noble. You know what's right? The freedom that we have to occupy the Capitol Theater on Sunday mornings to worship Jesus. What an incredible gift and what a freedom that that is and how right that is in our world. It's amazing. You ever stop and just ponder and think about the gift that this is right here? That we get to participate in on the weekly? It's incredible. Don't take it for granted. You know what's pure? My kid wanting chocolate. <laughs> it's pure. Like the, naive, the, the, the naive, na naivety, naivety, whatever. The innocence of a child. <laughs> the milestones of kids. Their first words, their first steps, riding the bike, learning a concept of addition or uh, tackling uh, some, some thing or like a sport or scoring their first goal. Like, gosh, it's just the innocence of a child and seeing the milestones is pure. Do we think about those things? You know what's lovely? Your spouse is lovely. Think about it. You married him for a reason. You know what else is lovely? Nature. The mountains, the trees, the streams, the birds chirping, all that God has created is lovely. Do we stop and just think about those for a minute? Get outside and smell the fresh air and take some deep breaths and just look around at the nature and the creativity of our God. It's lovely. You know what's admirable? The sacrifice of hundreds of volunteers week in and week out that call Newbridge Church their church and get on a ministry team and give up their time and their talents to reach people with the gospel. That's admirable. And that's some of you in this room. Should be all of us in this room. It's an admirable thing to give your life over to advancing his kingdom and building his church. Do you think about the early hours and the late nights that people put in to love people, to serve people, and to reach people with the gospel? You might not think about it because you're not doing it, but you should think about it and you should do it. It's admirable. You know what's excellent? I had a hard time. I'm being honest with you. I had a hard time thinking about something that's excellent. And then I come in here a little bit early before everybody shows up and the worship team is preparing. And I'm just in chills, almost to tears, in the excellence that this team brings on this stage in creating an environment through song that is so powerful in the presence of God. 
what gifts he's given these people who are stewarding it well and the excellence on display for God's glory and for our experience is incredible. Do you think about that? What's praiseworthy? God is praiseworthy. God is praiseworthy. And here's why. If you ate food today, he's praiseworthy. The fact that you have clean drinking water, accessibility, he's praiseworthy for that. Because you have a house, most likely, or a place to sleep, or a car to drive, that you got an education of some degree, that you have a job or some type of financial income, all of those things are reasons for God to be praised. But yet we get so caught up in the superficial and the worry. We get caught up in the what ifs and the abstract and the doom and gloom of our society that's becoming so normalized. And we forget to hit the pause button and think on these types of things. Would you focus on the good? Would you focus on the list that Paul lays out very clearly when the worry wants to creep in? Because what you focus on, you will find it. And the final thing is this, point three, how to win over worry is follow what God has said. Follow what God has said. Verse nine of Philippians four, after all that Paul just unpacked, verse nine, he wraps it up with this. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The peace that surpasses all understanding is gonna guard your heart and your mind. And if you will just do this, And all that God has said, all that I have taught, everything Jesus has commanded, the God of peace will be with you. Worry will have to run. It will not become an identity of you. You can overcome, you can win, you can fight, you can be free. If you just do it, if you put it into practice, follow what God has said. Because here's the truth. Obedience builds confidence. Obedience builds confidence. You got to take that first baby step of trusting God. Just trust him with one thing. I know it might seem overwhelming to just jump all in, although I I would advise it, just go for it. I promise you your life will be better because of it. But sometimes our controlling self nature, selfish nature is like, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard. Just do one, one step. The process of following God can often be one step at a time. And as you obey him in this area with one thing that you are withholding from God and what he says is best in the design about your life, as you take that step of obedience, it'll build your confidence because you'll see that it's good for you and God is good and he'll meet you in that. And then it's like, okay, I did it with that. Now I can trust him with the next thing and the next thing. And obedience builds confidence. And then confidence gives you the confidence that you need to trust him in the thing that's now scarier. But you got to start somewhere. Will you do what God has said? Will you follow what God has said? Here's the most tangible example in my life recently of where my confidence is being built by my obedience to God. If you guys were around, and most of you were for bridging the gap, It was a financial campaign to see all this new vision that God is pouring out, asking us to do as New Bridge Church. And we set a lofty goal financially of pledges from our congregation to to be able to get this mission done and this vision done. 
And the request was, hey, just pray to God and ask God what he would have you give financially to this mission and this vision. And so Emily and I, my wife and I were processing a number. And we, and again, studying scripture and, and learning as we were teaching through Bridging the Gap of how to manage your finances in a biblical, God-honoring way and that God wants us to be outrageously generous. And we were really processing like, at what number does it become outrageous? At what percentage or what number does it become illogical and almost irresponsible, but yet we're going to trust that that's what God's calling us to? And the number that God gave me and Emily independently and we came back together and said, I think this is what God is saying. We're like, how? We will literally operate in the deficit every single month. And I don't know if that's a good idea with young kids to feed. Like, it's probably not smart. I'm a math guy. Like, I, I did ran the numbers. Like, it didn't make sense. It seemed unwise. But we couldn't shake the number that God was calling us to give over this two-year campaign. And we did it, scared. Trusting God with that one step of obedience. And I'm here to tell you, a year later, it's been a year now, we've never operated in the deficit in a month. I don't know how exactly. It doesn't quite make sense. And another layer of this that rocked my world was we went to the Hope Center fundraiser back last October. And Hope Center is an addiction discipleship ministry that we have here. And they, like, I didn't know what I was walking into. I got a free ticket to go to this gala dinner. I was like, okay, it's a dinner, free meal, sure, I'll go. I walk in, it's an auction. And not just like an auction, like, it's an auction, big stuff. I'm like, I, I don't have any money. Like, I, I am not going to be able to participate in this. Like, I want to be able to be generous and support this, but we're stretched so thin. I was not prepared for tonight. Did not save up, did not budget for this, whatever. And we get there, we're having dinner, and, and we did. We, we silent bid on a few things, and we did bid on a few items, and we kind of had a, a, a limit that we said impromptu. And then one of the items on the line that we were looking at was this trip to Hawaii. Hope Center has a, a house, a campus, in Hawaii, and they were, they were auctioning off you to stay at their place. So it wasn't like Airbnb or a hotel. The money was going to go to the Wheeling Hope Center, and we were going to get to use their property in Hawaii. And the Jellisons and another couple of friends of ours were sitting there at this table. And we're like, hey, what if we just throw the minimum bid on there and see if we get it? Like, I don't know. What do you think? I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, the minimum bid's $3,000. That's 1500 a couple. I'm like, well, we just pledged this. And like, I, I don't know if that's the wisest thing for us to do. But in an impromptu decision, the auctioneer calls out. We say, yeah, we'll go in the minimum bid. And I'm like, someone outbid us, someone outbid us, someone outbid us, someone outbid us. No one outbid us. And I, and I tried to change my faith. Okay, great, $1,500 towards Hope Center. Great, we're being generous, God. We're supporting your ministry. This is going to be great. But on the inside of me, I'm like, I don't know if this was a good idea. So we, you know, we settle up, we, we make the payment, the donation, and I kid you not, within a month, my mom comes to visit, my mom and dad come to visit, my mom brings me a check for $3,000. Now, the $1,500 was for accommodations and then flights, uh, everything that we were looking at was right around $3,100. And she shows up with a check, she says, hey, this is from your grandma, 
Um, she wrote this in 2022. So you can notice that she changed the 22 to a 23. And now she's giving it to me within a month after I was so worried over supporting the Hope Center ministry and selfishly having a trip to Hawaii. But almost to the dollar amount, it was just absolutely insane. She wrote it in 22. She thought of me (laughs) in 22. But yet I didn't get it for whatever reason until that moment. And I just felt God saying, it's okay, go. Have the honeymoon that you never got to have because we got married young and dirt poor. Go and enjoy this time with your wife. It was incredible to see God's provision in that. Because of our obedience, it just keeps building my confidence. And so I'm gonna ask you, where are you being disobedient? And here's the, like sin is is what you would call disobedience. Like we're sinning against God, not doing what he's calling us to do in essence is sin. And sin fuels worry. Sin feeds it, it feeds worry, it feeds anxiety, it feeds all of it. And so what in your life, what sin, what level of disobedience, things that you are withholding from God that is robbing you of living in complete freedom and winning over that worry and trusting God enough, he'll provide, he'll meet you, it'll build your confidence and you can just keep obeying and you can live the fullness of life that God wants for you. What is that thing for you? You see, sin robs us of God's protection in this life. And I don't mean the bubble of protection of like nothing bad's gonna happen to you. I mean the protection of like God knows you better than you know yourself. And he made you and he's commanded you and he's given everything, he's given you everything you need to live that life to the full in his word. And where are you not following it? Because that is robbing you of God's protection and blessing in your life. That will allow the worry, the concern that should never get to a worry to happen if you would live obedient in all areas of your life. So where you are obsessively, mentally pondering things might be an indicator of where you trust God the least. Whatever you're so worried about, might be where you trust God the least. My challenge for you is, would you submit that worry to him persistently, specifically, honestly, with humility, with thanksgiving, and you're focusing on the good, your your, your mental space is dominated by the good, and you will keep saying yes to obedient steps, whatever he asks you to do and live out the plan and the purpose that he has for your life, which ultimately I think gives you the win over all worry in this life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would fill this place. You're here, and I'm asking that we would just let our guard be down in our heart and in our mind with the worries that are dominating our headspace, that we would get really real with them. We'd get really honest with them and specific with them before you. God, you know what we're struggling with. 
But just because you know doesn't mean you don't want us to seek you. You want us to seek you, not for your benefit, God, but, but for our benefit. And so would we get real and would we get honest? Would we take steps of obedience to whatever we're withholding, unable to surrender, still trying to control in our life? Father, I pray right now that you would break the chains that, of our selfish ego and pride and lay them all at your feet on the cross. They die with you, Jesus. And that your freedom would come, your peace would come, your joy would come, and we would win over worry. We would win over anxiety. We would win over the fear that's debilitating us and undermining the plan and the purpose that you have for us. God, help us be persistent, specific, honest, and thankful we would focus on the good and we would be radically obedient to whatever you say in your word and you're calling us to do. And I do ask right now that the peace that surpasses all understanding would be a defining characteristic of Newbridge Church. Man, what a refreshing sense of peace to our community we could be if we all would welcome it in and live it out. So Holy Spirit, come. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.